the inner side. So outer cleanliness is all right for health's sake, but inner cleanliness is what is wanted. Inner cleanliness is when you have love for all and there are no evil thoughts. What to speak of words, actions. As God resides in every heart, we also reside in the same heart. If we love God, we can we deceive anyone? For God resides within them. So you never have recourse to untruthfulness. He who has got chaste thoughts, he will not like to deceive the God in you, in all, in me, in his own self. If God resides everywhere and we are children of God, brothers and sisters in God, and we love God, we necessarily love his children. Then why should we do something that is usurping for one's own personal sake? If we have got dirty clothes on which give off a bad odor, can we expect anyone to us allow us to sit by him? I don't think so. If you have dirty clothes on, you will give a bad odor. You wouldn't allow anybody like that to sit by you, and neither will he allow you. So this is a way of explaining what is what. Guru Nanak says at one place, if a man is wearing dirty clothes with a bad odor, can he ever expect those whom he loves to embrace him? So the first thing you see, the first thing, is purity of heart. What, what is that purity? Again, I say, all foreign thoughts, all foreign thoughts should be eliminated except for God. And some of the stories that were um, related to me in the last couple of days as we were telling stories in remembrance of the Master, and also the story that Doris told. Um, the most memorable of those stories have to do with individuals who were able to eliminate through one, through one circumstance or another whose desire for the world was brought to an absolute minimum level and whose remembrance and desire for the Master was tremendously increased. And any time that happens, amazing things will happen. I was walking with Terry Bearden after breakfast and we were talking about singing bhajans and 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 we're saying um, if you sing the bhajan that says master i want only you and if you really sing that bhajan from your heart and if you really mean it then you better fasten your seatbelt because he's going to send things your way that will help that happen and and this is what is lost. This is what he wants. He wants us to sing those bhajans at deeper and deeper levels, becoming more and more in unison with the spirit of the bhajans. To still our mind and empty our mind of all foreign thoughts so that he can reside within us.
So what is this purity? Again, I say, all foreign thought should be eliminated. As I submitted already, God is alone. He wants everybody to come to him alone. When we go to him, we take our bodies. We think of our family, our brothers, our sisters. We think of the worldly affairs, this and that thing. We think of the pleasures of this world. These are the dirty clothes. Good or bad actions you see have the same effect. Of course, we have to start with good actions, but you see, love unifies. Love unifies, it eliminates all ego. An outer sword, if struck against anything, will cut it in two, but the sword of love, when that is struck, then the two become one. Then you will feel that I and my Father are one. So every thought has its own color. By radiation, you can find it. If you've got your yogic eye developed, if there are thoughts of lust or anger, then the radiation will be there as though it is a red-black color coming up. Those who have got greedy thoughts, it is just like a fire burning. If you have got pure thoughts, then perfume will come. Our master used to relate that once when he was passing by, he smelled the sweet fragrance. He said, I looked all around. Where was it coming from? When he passed further, he found one man sitting there. He was a saint, a God-intoxicated man, and the sweet fragrance was his radiation. Those who have got noses, I would say now, they can smell that thing. Our master was pure, and he smelled it. We don't, because there's so much dirt inside. If there's a ton of dirt, and we add a little more to it, what difference does it make? That's why we don't feel it. But those who have got the pure hearts, if they even have the slightest little bit more dirt added, then they feel that. When I was in active service, I was on the firing line for five months. I was given one orderly that was to cook my food. This was in 1921. And I told him, look here, so long as you are in the kitchen, mind that. Let no foreign thought enter your mind. Your thoughts may be in reciting the scriptures or in the love of God. And he said, all right, I'll do that. A day or two passed. Everything was all right. At night on the third day, I sat for meditation and I felt something is wrong. I called him at once. It was one in the morning. Tell me, who was in your kitchen today? What were you thinking about? He said, nothing. I said, don't lie. He said, well, yes, there was this man and we were talking about this and that. So you see, my point is, if there if there is already too much dirt, then we won't feel it if a little more is added. We think, what difference does it make? But if there is no dirt, purity of heart means that thing. So if you want, I will give you an instance to see your aura. Each person has a personal aura. Some are six inches long, some are one foot. A spiritual person's is much longer. 
As our master said, you can feel that from a distance. So stand in the sun with your back towards the sun and look to your shoulders very intently. Stand in the sun with your back towards the sun. Look to your shoulders very intently, very intently. You will find some smoke coming up. A little more attention. And you will find that color there, which is proceeding from your thoughts. That is why the masters say, whatever sins we have within us, they give effect. So purity of heart means no foreign thoughts of anyone or of the world or even of your own self. This is what is needed. Also, self-introspection. Whatever you can witness by introspection and weed it out. But last, all of the filth can be taken out by coming in contact with that power which is within you with the water of life within you. The sins of hundreds of thousands of births are washed away by coming in contact with that light. Guru Ramdas says that if there are heaps of firewood and you put a little fire to it, the whole thing is burned to ashes. So similarly, there are heaps of sins from the past ages and these are heinous sins. If you come to a master and take a little ray of light within you, that will burn it all away. So these outer things come first through self-introspection. If we have to cut down a tree, we must cut the branches first. So to enable you to cut, that will enable you to cut the trunk easily. So all the masters say we want spirituality. Spirituality means knowing oneself, knowing God, and nothing more, nothing less. But that wants purity of thought. That is why two things are given to you. You see, times have changed. You are given some, something to start with on the very first day. The soul, which is overburdened with sins in the past hundreds of births, it is given a boost. The burden is to be shaken off. You are then dragged upward. You see the light to start with. And further, you were asked to weed out the imperfections. You were asked, maintain the diaries. And this is what is called spirituality. When you introspect your lives, you see, don't spare yourself. Criticize yourself as you would criticize others. And whatever is there, then weed that out. Simply saying, I am a sinner, I am a sinner. That won't do. So the first step is like that. You want spirituality. You want to meet God. Is this not true? So desire is the basic thing, as I told you this morning. Desire. You desire something. You desire to meet some, someone. To have something. To take possession of something. To somebody. What do you do? You do your best by hook or crook to have it. To take possession of it. You won't care by what means you adopt. And the attraction in the beginning, it is attractive. But later on, what is the result? You will find out sometimes you cannot have it. Then you just go through the evil means. That very thing is dragged into your mind day and night. 
you feel misery. If you leave off that desire, then what? Suppose a man wants money or possessions. If he is after a hundred dollars, then later he will want two hundred. If he is two hundred, he will want a thousand. And it goes on like that, day and night, he'll be headlong into it. No time to even think of himself. What will the result be? You're drawn too far away from him who is within you. And you go where? You will go where you are attached. So we people should understand what is what. Spirituality is not difficult. It is a very simple way. All these things which now seem very attractive to us, they result in misery. Guru Nanak says, it is a hova which is poisonous. It's, just, it's besmeared with sugar. Even if it's coated with sugar, even then it's still poisonous. All outside things appear to be very attractive, very nice. But unfortunately, the poison is there. They will drag you down, and the world is full of people who will drag you down. So I'm just putting before you that desire other than for God gives us misery. If we try for a thing and we don't get it, then day and night we may be thinking about it. The result is we're too much attached. Naturally, we go where we're attached. This is what we have been doing in the past in the man-body. But the man-body, the man-body is the golden opportunity in which we could retrieve our godhood. We have got, you know, discrimination. So make the best use of that. Discriminate. Know if it is right or wrong. The Vedas say, O oh God, lead me from the unreal to the real. We have got that discriminative power, each one of, each one of us. In the beginning, when you're just going to do something wrong, you've got maybe a little shock from within. You say, oh, suppose you have gone to steal something. The first time you steal, you'll be afraid. Then you have done it once, twice, four times, ten times, you will become brave. That imperial wall which you one, once broke, that voice from within, that constant voice, it no longer comes. In the beginning, that was always there, telling you what you were doing wrong at your heart of hearts. You do feel it, but you were dragged outside so much so that then you cannot. So do you follow me what I mean by purity of heart? I'm not telling you anything new. These are all the things which you already know, but we have to live up to them. These very things which appear to be so attractive, so very lovely, this and that thing. These very things, later on, they result in misery, disappointment. You become attached to the world. In another birth, you will also be attached like that. So strange enough, there is one mind, one heart, and there are so many things and so many irons in the fire. Our heart was meant for what? For becoming one with God. 
That is the throne of God within us. We should not let anybody take possession of that throne except God. But every minute we allow everybody to take possession of our heart. And later on, we're dragged like anything. The result, every, every day that desire grows more and more. The mind is in such a position that whatever it wants, you give it. It still then wants more. It's not satisfied. You punish on saying, what is that thing by knowing which you need no further knowledge? By having which you need no further possessions. That is such a profound thought. To possess something that eliminates the desire or the need to have any other possessions. If you attach yourself to God, all things shall be added unto you. These are the words of the scriptures. We think over them, you see, but we read them parrot-like. But we ourselves must go into these words, deep down into them, to see what is what. In the early beginning of my life, I was a student, you see, and I used to read the Sikh scriptures, for I was born in the Sikh religion. That is a very big treasure of spirituality, the sayings of many saints. I used to open that scripture and read one hymn each morning, not two, not three, not four. I would put that hymn in writing. All through the day, I would consider it. What is there that is in this? The more you go deep down, the more things come up. The Master's words are very few and simple, but they are pregnant with meaning. Mind that. The more you think over them, the more you go deep down into it, the same radiation comes to you. Your heart is pure, that's the point. That is why I say, as you think, so you become. I am not telling you anything new. This is from Sanchi. An excerpt from a Bajan talk. This is the reality that just as a father makes his child hold his finger and makes him walk, our beloved masters have also made us hold their finger because in this path of spirituality, we are like a child. So our master guided us and allowed us to hold his finger. He made us walk. Dear ones, in singing the bhajans, we can develop a lot of love for the master, a lot of humility. We can express that through the bhajans. Often I have said that our masters are not hungry for our love because they are intoxicated in the love of their own master. But unless the, the disciple develops that love and expresses that love for his own master, he cannot complete his work. 
So whenever we get the opportunity to sing the bhajans, we should always sing the bhajans written by the perfect masters because they are the ones that have the pure hearts. They are the pure beings. Their within is pure and holy. Whatever words come out from a pure heart will have that effect. If we sing the songs or read the writings by people who are besmeared with the dirt of the worldly pleasures and the passions, it will not give us a pure effect. It will only carry the bad effect, the bad smell of those pleasures and passions in which those people are involved. So whenever we get the opportunity, we should always sing the bhajans written by the perfect masters because they are the pure-hearted ones. If there is fire burning, the air coming from that fire carries the warmth. But if there is a piece of ice, the air coming from that block of ice will bring coolness. So in the same way, if the words are coming out from a pure heart, they will have that purity. The perfect masters have written whatever they have felt. So all the bhajans written by the perfect masters are depicting the condition of their heart. They tell us how much humility we need, how much love we need for our master. Through their bhajans, they teach us about humility and about the love we should develop for our master. And through the bhajans, we also get an opportunity to list our faults. Even if we do not have any faults, still we should list them. Still we should humbly express them. The masters are not sinners. In fact, they are the liberators of the sinners. But still, in order to make us, the worldly and forgetful people, understand that unless we have humility, we cannot reach the goal. They have used such lowly words for themselves, only to make us learn this lesson of humility. Guru Arjan Devji Maharaj says, Just as there is so much water in the ocean, so many are the sins within us. Kindly shower your grace on us and liberate us. Just as you make the stones to cross over, in the same way, liberate us from our sins. Those great souls who come into this world with the feeling of yearning, with the pain of separation, when they go to their masters, when their glances are exchanged, when they look into the eyes of the master, the intoxication which they receive at that moment in that encounter cannot be described. They are so much absorbed in the love of their master that even if they were cut to pieces, still they would not complain. They would not hesitate if it was for the love of their master. No matter what they are offered in this world, no matter how many difficulties they have to go through, but once they go to the master, their enthusiasm, their passion for the master, their love for the Master never decreases. Instead, it goes on increasing every moment. 
So the reason behind God Almighty assuming the form of the saints is that we people contemplate on the worldly things so much that we become the form of the worldly materials. And our contemplation, our remembrance of the worldly things is such that we cannot forget them. It is very difficult, nearly impossible for us to forget the things of the world. We go on creating karmas. We pay off a few karma. We pay off fewer karmas than we create, and this cycle never comes to an end. It goes on, birth after birth. We go on creating the karmas. We make more karmas than we pay off, and there is no way to break this cycle. Developing the love of the Master and the purity of heart, we start to see the world as being beautiful. All unsold bodies are drops of the ocean of all consciousness. And when we know this, everything becomes beautiful. God is beautiful in any world made by Him, any world manifested by Him, is also beautiful. Beauty comes out of beauty, not from ugliness. Anything that appears ugly in the world is a result of the spectacles that we are wearing. If the glass of the spectacles is smoky, we will see all smoke. If it is red, everything will appear red. If it is black, everything appears black. Well, the world is not black, red, or smoky, mind that. So we have to change the trend of our mind, the trend of our heart. The first principle that we have to abide by is to know that He is everywhere. We are in Him, He is in us. And when you know this, you will just pay respect to everybody. They are all manifested in the man-body. When we know that He is everywhere and that He knows everything of our heart, how can we do anything? How can we do anything that is not good? How can we commit a sin? Our master used to say, when a child of five years is sitting by you, you will never dare to do anything that is wrong. When you have the point of view that he is within me, he is outside me, I am in him. How can you perpetrate anything? This is exactly the same thing Sanchi was saying when he said that he saw Kripal coming to meditate. He saw Kripal in everyone.
He is outside me, I am in him. How can we perpetrate anything? This is the sum and substance. It is the very basic principle. And if you can abide by it, everything will follow by itself. The world will be beautiful. Beauty comes out of beauty. The world appears to be ugly or not beautiful. That is only the result of the spectacles that we are wearing. If you will cast out the evil thoughts about others, then all will become friendly. If somebody has played any hell against you, we want to retaliate. We want to harbor those thoughts against them. And this also comes in the question of judging others and behavior that is annoying or we want to fix so often in personal relationships and in professional and different people that come into our lives, family and others, that there may be something that we think is being done that we don't like, that shouldn't be done. And oftentimes the, the desire to um, either try to correct or to blame that person is really a reflection of something that is within us that if we go deep down into it, we realize there's nothing that we can do to change that other person. All that we can do is to change ourselves. And that we simply have to look at the other person and see the God in the other person. And, and look to the master within ourselves. If you cast out evil thoughts about others, all are friendly. If anybody has played any hell against us, we want to retaliate. Saints have been coming into the world and the people have been meeting with them disrespectfully. Sometimes they even put them on the cross or they burn them. People cry, oh God, send us someone, save us. God says, well, I have sent you many. How have you treated them? They came to give you the right understanding of the whole show, which is that all creation is the manifestation of God, that you are all my children, you are all drops in the ocean of consciousness, that I am your controlling power, you live in me, I live in you. But you have forgotten all this. This is their message. To forget, to forget is delusion. This is what we call maya. So you go to somebody whose eye is open, and even if you speak ill of him, he still tries to bring you out of your ignorance. He will give you something. You should develop it. When you see inside, your whole angle of vision is changed. Even outside, you see that it is all men, the manifestation of God. So the very first principle of devotion or bhakti is to know that God is everywhere, that we are living in him, he is in us. If this right understanding comes in, then naturally right thoughts follow. And with right thoughts, there will be right speech. And with right speech, you have right action. The main principle is to know that God is everywhere. 
It is a fact that we have to develop to open that eye to see that this is so. That eye is opened only when you meet somebody who opens it within you. You will begin to see that it is all the manifestation of God, that there is no evil in the world. What an amazing thing. Nothing that needs to be fixed, nothing that needs to be corrected. There is no evil in the world. If it appears to be evil, it is due to the smoky or colored glasses that you are wearing on your heart or mind. If you will find that, if you will find that, if you think in the way that I have just told you, then naturally you will have respect for all, you will have love for all, even for your enemies, even for those who don't think like you. They might think otherwise, but if you have thrashed out every evil thought within you for everybody, you will see with that angle of vision which the Master is giving you. You will see that it is all the manifestation of God, and then everybody will naturally appear to be beautiful. So we should meet all that happens to us with an open mind, happily. Sometimes it so happens that something comes our way which we think is not good. But that very thing which appears before us, that is the remedy to set us right, so that we may have something higher. So man learns swimming in water, not on dry land. Also in some of the stories that we have um, been exchanging, it seems that this experience of something coming to us which appears to be not to our liking. And as the months or years roll on and we look back on that, such those situations, we see that it is truly the remedy that has set us right. And this is very often the way the Master develops disciples. So don't, we, we are not to judge even the experiences that come to us in, with any form of negativity. We should meet all that happens to us with an open mind and happily. When you develop that angle of vision, you will have opened your eye to see things in the proper light. You will see that everything is the manifestation of God. Then you will be strengthened. A little more time. We're, we're about six o'clock, but because I have one other thing that I would like to read something else. Two minutes. So he is ever with us and is showering his grace in abundance. To realize him, it is essential to have a pure heart. 
Can you ever expect the Lord to manifest himself till your heart is clean? The Lord cannot be realized so long as our heart remains littered with lust or anger or jealousy. Our soul lies dormant and defiled by all these vices. Just as a magnet will not attract a piece of dust-covered iron, God within us will also not pull the soul up till it is free from these blemishes. In such a hopeless state, only a competent master can come to our rescue. This, in fact, is the greatness of the master's soul. Out of sheer compassion, he removes the load. We are loaded with heaps of impressions of previous verse, and in addition are further trapped in a dragnet of sensual pleasures. Therefore, hardly any difference exists between us and a loaded donkey. We too, therefore, need a compassionate soul who himself is absolutely free to come and unburden us, to pull us out of our misery. Only then will we be able to see the true reality. The greatness of such a master soul is beyond any description indeed. Such a competent master enables us to visualize the truth after freeing us from the effect of the past, past impressions and by bringing our attention above the body consciousness. to stop for today and we'll continue this evening with Russell getting outside. Um, there's one announcement. Um, I am taping all the talks and I'm going to leave a piece of paper on this little table right here in the next five minutes that if anyone would like the tapes, name, address, and phone number, and we will send them to you. Okay?
seyo sirsanu chaliye tanga sonaya diya cheloni seyo cheloni seyo Chale chalo to 
कर मिल जाती है while doing the Simran, the destination comes to you by itself. The fort of deceit will be destroyed in this world because walls of sand do not last. There are so many sins with you. You are a great sinner. Hail the power of Almighty Kripal who carries all the burden. No one is an enemy. No one belongs to anyone else. Everyone is your very own. For as the Gurbani teaches, all this world was created from one light. O oh, Guru Kripal, the negative power trembles, and death also is nervous in front of whomever has caught hold of your finger. Ajayib says, apologize to Kripal if your soul wants happiness. Kripal gave only this message, and even the wind also teaches us this. If you keep walking while doing the Simran, 
the destination comes to you by itself. I wanted to uh, consider this bhajan tonight, actually. Um, it is, as a lot of people know, my favorite. And it is also um, one of those writings in which the masters managed to get the whole path into a very few words. And I felt, since I first heard this bhajan, and um, a lot of times since, that if we could just master what is in this bhajan, we would understand everything and have no problems. It would, it would be all ours, because it's all here. Kripal gave only this message, and even the wind also teaches us this. If you keep walking while doing the Simran, the destination will come to you by itself. What a marvelous! I, I think about I, I I you know I never get over this verse. This the, the greatness of this particular refrain is, seems to me. Kripal gave only this message. In other words, all of the words, hundreds of thousands of millions of words, maybe that Kripal, not to mention Sawan and Sanchi himself, and Baba Jamal Singh and Swamiji Maharaj, and all the others, Guru Nanak and Kabir, have given, boils down to this. And it's the very same message that the wind teaches us. In other words, what the Master teaches us is what the universe teaches us. The Master is like the universe articulated, which is, after all, what the meaning is of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and all things were made by Him. It's like the created universe is an articulation of the Absolute. And the Master is the microcosm, you might say, of that articulation moving around amongst us. And the, the universe itself, the entire created conglomeration, which is, the Kabbalists say, is the body of God, you know, that is saying the same thing. This is the natural order of things, the Tao, in other words. If we, we, Master Kripal wrote in the Crown of Life some very beautiful words about uh, the Tao Te Ching and, and um, the idea of the Tao, which he said was, was the word. And it's if we get ourselves out of the way, you know, then we will hear it. What we hear is what is. And what we, when we don't hear it, it's because we are so busy doing that we don't have time to hear. Uh, years and years ago, when Judith and I were in India the first time, she asked Master Kripal, she said um, that she's had sometimes very good meditations, but it never seemed to go any further than she was always stuck at some particular point. And he said, well, look here. If, if I'm knocking at the door and I want to come in and you're standing in the way, how do I get in? And that's the thing, you see. If we want the master to come in, we've got to get out of the way. And that's what he wants us to do. And that's what we can do. But the wind teaches us 
what Master's message boils down to, that if we keep walking while doing the Simran, the destination will come to us by itself. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. If we keep our gaze fixed on that which counts, on that which is, then, you know, it will come. What happens in the meantime, it's like you, you, you keep your eye on something. It's like, suppose you, you're following something. I remember when uh, Master Kripal was in Connecticut in 1963. I've told this story a number of times. But um, I was, after he was in New Hampshire and Vermont, and he had been on the East Coast in general, he had a week of what was called private time. Actually, it wasn't really private at all, but uh, it had been arranged by the Baron von Blomberg for the master to work with uh, World Fellowship of Religion stuff. At that time, he was president of the World Fellowship of Religions, and he was uh, meeting a lot of people in connection with that. And that week was set apart for that. And he went down to Connecticut from New Hampshire, and uh, I was asked to follow down with my pickup truck because they were running out of vehicles to carry stuff in for the, for the caravan, for the uh, party. So I, I jumped into my pickup truck and drove down. And I had a, this was an old green truck. I, I know some of you have heard all this stuff, but um, it was an old green truck and it was kind of junky looking. And, and a lot of people, um, well, some people found it. Uh, disconcerting to have it following around the master. It's like a piece of junk following. So the Baron, who was one of these people, he was driving the master and he used to try to lose me. And I was uh, right very close behind him. And I would pretend that there was a 10-foot chain between his car and my pickup truck. And I kept that chain there all the time. So I never, if he went through a red light, I went through a red light. It was like that. And I, my, my only goal was to keep the master's car visible. I wanted to have the darshan. I would see master's head from my, out the windshield through, through the back of his car. He was sitting in the back seat. I would get the back of his head. I would focus on that, and that's all that I wanted. And I was going to keep that no matter what. And... Uh, the Baron tried, I mean, he would slow down as we got to lights that were turning. He would slow down and get past, so it would turn red just as I got there. I, I'm really not kidding. He did. And I would go right through anyway. I knew because that, that chain wouldn't let me stop, you see. It had, to, it had to take me through. So it's like if we can keep our gaze fixed on what's important, the other stuff takes care of itself. The destination is like the destination and the way are not different. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, okay, he meant that he was both the goal and the way. The goal is the way. The way is the goal. When we walk on the path, we are at the goal. We don't know it. It's, there are things that have to come into place before we can understand it fully and get the full benefit of it. But the fact is, that all the way to heaven is heaven, which I believe St. Teresa said. Um, and that is why if we are concentrating on the way, the destination comes to us by itself. 
is part of the natural order of things. That's why the wind also teaches it to us. It's the way things work. It's the way things are. The natural yoga that the masters give us. And that, on that same trip, by the way, that same time, um, and I know I've told this a lot too, so forgive me if it's the same old, same old, because I, I repeat myself a lot. But um, I was following the master in that pickup truck, and Betty Shiflet, whom some of you will probably remember, was riding with me, much older lady than I was at the time. I was a young guy. And um, we got to the Merritt Parkway in Connecticut, and no trucks are allowed on the Merritt Parkway. So the Baron is driving the master's car, and he stops. Actually, it was his car the master was riding in. And he stops, and I, uh, I'm sitting there behind him. I was, of course, because of that 10-foot chain, I was right behind him. So the Baron, he talks to the master a bit, and he comes over to, to where I'm sitting, and he looks in to, my, to me sitting in the pickup truck, and he says, uh, we're going to have to go on the Merritt Parkway. I know it. He said, uh, trucks can't go on the Merritt Parkway. I said, I know it. Don't worry. You go on and I'll just uh, wait here. And then when you get on, when I don't see the master anymore, I'll turn around and drive. And I'll go another way. Then I'll meet you there. He said, oh, all right. And he went and he got back in the car. And then he, I could see he and the master talking. And he came back and he said, um, well, Master doesn't want to go on the Merritt Parkway if you can't come to. Now, you understand that I was like a, a, a nuisance on this trip. I mean, this is not a question of an important Savadar or anything like that. Being, I mean, I was nothing. And it was like I couldn't believe it. The Master was not going to go on the Merritt because of me. And I, I, I got in. I, I just turned. I said, no, Master, I don't want Master to be delayed five seconds, and I turned the truck around and drove off as fast as I could. And we got there and met them there, like I said. But um, the point is that, you know, really, the Satguru is love personified. God is love. This is something that's been said so often, but if we think about it, you know, what does it mean that God is love? What does it mean when Rabia Rabia Aladawiya Basra, the great Sufi mystic, says, love is the core of the universe. What does it mean? You know, it means that when the truth is manifest, it will always be known through love, never through coercion or fear or power or control or force or shame, or making ourselves feel like we ought to do something, always through love. Lesser truths may come the other ways. We can learn things the other ways, maybe, sometimes. I'm not saying we can't. Uh, but when, the, when that which is love manifests, he acts always through love, and with love, and by love. Because it's, it is the core of the universe. It overrides everything else. Justice, revenge, getting our own back, satisfaction, any of the things we sometimes take delight in, you know, fall apart when they are put together with love in the same 
arena. The fort of deceit will be destroyed in this world because walls of sand do not last. You know, really this refers to anything on the physical plane. Um, deceit here means less than the truth. You know, misleading things are, appear in such a way that the conclusions we jump to as a result of them happen to be the wrong conclusions. And that's a definition of Maya. I mean, that's the way the world is made. Things look like they mean something. This thing is solid. That thing will last. This thing is permanent. You know, everyone knows, or, I, or at least a lot of us know, Shelley's famous poem about um, the pharaoh Ozymandias, king of kings, whose uh, statue says, look, look on my wonders. Well, I forget the exact words. It's a great poem, though. You should read it sometime. And, and be afraid or something like that. He's boasting about himself. And all he's left of him is a, some pieces of a statue lying in the middle of the desert. There's nothing around except that. And, and, but he thought it was going to last forever. But it was made of sand, you know, and it doesn't last. So when we think that, you know, whenever we think that the other way the way of pushing, the way of forcing our will, the way of getting what we want regardless, the way of answering back in kind, all of the things that people do to each other that eventually end up wishing we hadn't. As long as we, we are doing that, we are building walls of sand. You know, and the fortress of deceit is getting larger and larger because that's what, that's what this world is. It isn't, now, the Master's very clear on this and the, the esoteric tradition in general is very clear on this. It isn't that the, the, um, the world is bad. The only thing that is bad about anything ever in this world or the next or the one beyond, is when we forget that it is part of God. And so are we. That is missing the mark. I've often said in the New Testament, in the Greek language, the word that is translated as sin, hamartia, means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. You shoot a a bow and arrow, the arrow takes off, the arrow misses the target. That's hamartia. That's the word that is translated in New Testament as sin. That's what sin is, missing the mark. And the other definition, as Master said, is forgetting. The Masters give a very simple definition of sin as forgetting of origin. It's in the wheel of life. So when we forget who we are and what the world really is and what everyone else is and what is really going on here, when we forget that, that's when the world is bad. And because most people, most of the time, mostly do that, it's mostly bad. 
But that doesn't mean it has to be. And Master Kripal used to say that the golden age will come out of the iron age. He said, we all say, Satyug, Satyug, when will Satyug come? Well, it will come out of the Kalyug. It will come out of what we are now. We are to build it. It is, it is ours to build. There's a saying in um, esoteric Judaism, in the Kabbalah, that the Messiah will come the day after he's no longer needed. Because what will bring him, what will make him come is to build the golden age. In other words, to be a world of messiahs. And that is what the Master wants from us. My very first trip to India, again, the same trip that I mentioned earlier, I heard, I was, the room that we were staying in, uh, there was, was, the sound was not, we could hear sound very easily from the next room. Master was in that next room talking to somebody, and he said, uh, I could hear him say, I want you to be a Buddha, not a Buddhist. And that is what the Master wants from us, you know, regardless of whether we may think of ourselves as this or that, but he wants us to be the real thing, not just the secondary item, you see, the Buddha, not the Buddhist. Anyway, walls of sand don't last, and the fortress of deceit is different than it appears to be because it is deceitful because that is the way, the nature of the way things are made. But if we hear the message of the wind, okay, if we hear the primal message of the universe underneath all of the stuff that we have built, then we can hear what we are really supposed to do. And that is what the Master is laying down for us. You know, I have given it to you. I have shown you. All you have to do is do it. There's a, I want to read a section from the Bible, actually. I forgot where I put the book. Prophet Micah. This is one of my favorite sections in the Bible. And you may wonder at the relevance, but bear with it, and it'll be clear, I hope. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And what does the Lord require of us except to do that? What does it mean if we keep walking while doing the Simran, the destination will come by itself? You see, we are walking humbly with our God. All those things that the prophet mentioned all those were things that people did they thought were important, that they thought were valid. And they had reason to think so. The priests told them so. The sacred writings told them so. Everybody else in the world did it. You kill animals and it pleases God. And there are complex and profound reasons why that might, was so. But the prophet is saying no. 
It's not like that. That won't do it. Not animals and not people either. You know, that doesn't please the Lord. You don't need to do anything. All you need to do is to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. That's what's good. And that's what Master Kripal, the message that the wind gives us, is the same thing. You keep walking while doing the simran, and the destination will come to us of itself. We don't need to be the doers. We don't need to make it happen. I have been, since Sanchi left, I have, you know, I, I have often, some things have been shown me, some things are not, and I'm not, um, I don't want to talk much about that, but I do want to say that it has been made very clear to me that I cannot, I am not supposed to do anything in regard to public satsang kind of stuff. I mean, talking things over with friends is one thing, but um, I am not a doer. Doing is not what is wanted right now. What is wanted right now is, to, is receptivity, to be aware of what the Master has given us and to value it, to live up to it, to put it into practice, to live as though the Master were telling the truth, and to live so that other people will say, you know, what's with him or her? You know, what's different about that person? She's so loving. Gee, you come into his or her presence and you, you really feel like something's happening. Wow, you know, something like that. This is what, as Master Kripal used to say, be like Jesus, all they had to do was touch the hem of his garment and they were healed. It's like, this is what we should be eventually getting to. There are so many sins with you. You're a great sinner. Hail the power of Almighty Kripal, who carries all the burden. We really, you know, we are sinners, okay? Because we constantly and continually miss the point, which is what sin is. Or you could say we continually forget, which is also what sin is. If we are great sinners, then what hope is there for us? We, we fall short of the mark. The way the universe is set up, you can't win. That's the way it seems anyway. You go round and around the cycle, births and deaths, six, um, eight million four hundred thousand, on and on and on, and you, you get human birth and then you miss the point, and you forget. You miss the point of your birth, you forget why you were born, and you back down again into the lower cycles and around and around you go. And it's awful. But Almighty Kripal, and remember, Kripal means merciful. It is very literally, it's a, it's a term that is often used of God in the, in the Punjabi, in the uh, Guru Granth Sahib. Um, and some of the Sikh Gurus have used it in their hymns to um, refer to God that way. The Almighty Merciful, He carries all the burden. In other words, because the God of love, and this is something, you know, this is so important and so basic and so major and so enormously huge. 
that it's like if we could just keep it in mind, God loves us so much that he will do whatever he has to do to bring us back to him. And he won't let anybody escape. Nobody. The restoration of all things. The church father Origen, uh, the great church father who taught reincarnation and also um, that everyone would be eventually saved. Um, uh, used that phrase to when, when everything is once again back in God, when all things are once again in God, then that that is when the creation will it won't come to an end, but it will go into the next chapter. The cycle will be over, not necessarily the creation will be over. You see. We are all sinners, but God loves all of us. He carries all the burden. I mean, we, you know, it's like from our point of view, Salman Singh says this, and I know a lot of us are familiar with this particular passage, that from, the, from our point of view, you know, from the bottom looking up, it looks like we're doing this, we're doing that, we're, we're struggling this way, we're suffering that way. We certainly, we feel pain, we feel happiness. But he says, if, you, if you're on the other end looking down, the whole creation looks like bubbles rising and falling in an ocean. And it's, it's the same when we realize that really it's the master who is doing it. In the book Mount Analogue by the great French writer René Domal, who studied with Gurdjieff, uh, the... Um, he ends the book, the book isn't finished, but one of the last things he wrote in connection with it was something like this. It seemed to us that, you know, because we tried so hard and because we did the right things and because we managed to be in exactly the right place at the right time because we had tried to be and we had worked hard at it, that we got there to Mount Analog, the, the place from which everything else happens. That's how it seemed to us. But he says, in the same way, it seems to the cock when, she, when he crows in the morning that he makes the sun rise. It seems like, you know, a whole bunch of things. I forget some of the other images, but it's the same order of things because it always follows. It's not necessarily causal. And we do do our best. We have to do our best. We have to do our best as we see it. But the point is, the struggle is only a struggle as long as we are doing. When we are letting the destination come to us by itself while we are doing the Simran, then we have moving like the wind moves. We don't have any struggle. We simply go as we wish, just like the wind. And that's what it means by saying that Almighty Merciful carries all the burden. All the burden, not some, all. And that's, you know, all of this is for ours to, to taste, you know, to see. It's, it's what we have. It's our, not only our heritage, it's our gift. What is it Master says in, at Sankhani Ashram in 72, Master Kripal said, the Guru gives you God 
as a prashad to you. The gift of the living master is the presence of God. It's given to us. It's not really a heritage. It's a gift in the here and now, right now, in the present. No one is an enemy. No one belongs to anyone else. Everyone is your very own. For as the Gurbani teaches, all this world was created from one light. I, you know, of all the words that the masters have written, all the bhajans and all the books and all the discourses, I think that I like these as well as any. Because this really, to me, is like if I could just remember this, if I could just hang on to this, yeah, then nothing would be, would be a problem. Because this is the truth. No one is an enemy. No one belongs to anyone else. There is no other. Who else is there, you see? If we, if we start thinking there's someone besides God that someone can belong to, that we belong to God, or I'm speaking now in a generic kind of way, I don't mean that we do this, of course, but if, if anybody does this, you know, we think, well, we, the ones that are like us, we belong to God. And the ones who are not like us, well, who do they belong to? There's somebody other than God that they can belong to? You know, there isn't. So it comes down to it's like that. No one belongs to anyone else. There is no one else for anyone to belong to. We are all his. We are his children. And that is why people, no matter what we do, no matter how bad we are or how bad we think we are or what huge mistakes we make, and we can make them, you know, we may be punished. God knows, everyone knows that, that uh, people, I mean, all of us have experienced hell. You know, I, I don't, I never argue that hell doesn't exist. My argument is only that it isn't eternal. You know, I know hell exists. I've been there. And most of us have. Hell is wherever people are in despair. And there's no way out. You know. But that doesn't mean it lasts forever. That doesn't mean that there is no way out just because it seems like there's no way out. So God loves all of us no matter what because no matter what mistakes we make, no matter who, who we, you know, what kind of identity we have taken on for ourselves in the course of this lifetime, we don't alter the fact that we are children of God. We cannot alter that. It cannot be done. And you can think yourself. You know, Master used to use these, both Sanchi and Kripal used these images all the time. If we have a kid, okay, and we love that kid, maybe we have a lot of kids, and we love them. Now, there are parents who probably wouldn't do this, but they're not, the Master isn't interested in that. You know, he's interested in what the kind of parents that he's talking about would do. If those kids, you know, get angry at us, hit us, if they do bad things. So what we do, will we kill them? He said, no. We may punish them. We may show them, you know, teach them that this isn't a good thing to do because for this, but that's all. And we never stop loving them. 
They never stop being our children. They can't. How can they? It can't be done. So it's it's like when when Sanchi says that um, he is our real father because he is happy in our happiness, and we should remember that. You know that when we are happy, the God in us is happy. God is happy when we are happy. Sanchi said that as, as specifically as could be. It is, it is a great mistake to think that there's anything, any lack of joy about the path or about life for that matter, as long as we can see it. You know, I don't, obviously, I mean, things happen and people are miserable and they're in despair and they get depressed and they hurt and they suffer and they do terrible things to each other and all those things happen. But the, underneath it all, the fact is that the connection with God is always there. And when people love each other, that is when the connection with God is most clearly seen. And when in that love, that mutual love for each other, that we can have as his children, love for our brothers and sisters, when that is there, then it's like that kind of happiness does not go away. You know, the idea that God is happy in our happiness is many things Sanchi said in and other masters too, actually, uh, most of the masters probably, say things that uh, struck me really as, as, as radical. You know, they're not the things you expect to hear. I found that very early on in my experience with Master Kapal, that he would often say things that I would not expect to hear. And um, they would take me totally by surprise. Yeah. Um, And that he is our real father. He is happy in our happiness. It's one of those thoughts. That's something. You know, when we are happy, we are pleasing God. Think about it. When we are happy and making others happy, I mean, if we are happy at the expense of somebody, of course, it's not either real happiness nor is it pleasing to God, but assuming that there's nothing like that, that we are happy and making others happy, um, then that makes God happy. He is happy in our happiness. It's a promise. So all of us, there is no one